Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys. This is a podcast from CBS News, and I am your host. Every week, we discuss issues including race. On Paramount Plus right now, there's a six-part docuseries called Indivisible, Healing Hate, tracing how anti-government extremism built over decades into the deadly riot at the U.S. Capitol. It features Sean Gillespie, a former white supremacist who served 16 years in prison for firebombing a synagogue in Oklahoma City in 2004. Here's a clip from his own video planning the attack. My first target is a... Jewish synagogue. I'm going to firebomb it with a Molotov cocktail. Destroy a window first and then throw the Molotov cocktail in for maximum damage. And from the docuseries, Gillespie talks about how being a neo-Nazi made him feel. It gives you a sense of euphoria. You feel like I could walk into a room with a swastika and you're either going to have people who are going to be angry at you or you're going to have people that are afraid of you. White power. Sieg Hall. Having that really made me feel good just like i mean just like i'm assuming a junkie would feel with heroin you know they get that rush and they're like they're on top of the world stand my kindred now before it's too late because if you're not with us you are against us we are revisiting my interview with sean gillespie who joins me to discuss what drove him to join a hate group before renouncing that ideology that conversation after this short break What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I was actually in Aryan Nations before I was in the army um, and I was a, a skinhead. Um, basically um, they, they didn't, I, I don't know if they're going to um, in the, in further episodes, talk further about my abuse. But um, when I was a child, I was sexually molested and raped by an Asian male. And so I believe, you know, after a lot of years of introspection and solitary confinement, I believe that's where my path and hate started because you know, I started hating gays and Asians and, you know, by the time I was a runaway kid and these people took me in, I was already angry and they just gave me uh, for the direction to, to feed my anger into hatred. When you say you were angry, I mean, you, you were actually physically harming yourself as well, right? Uh, in prison. Yes. Um, I just, at some point, you know, I did eight and a half years in solitary confinement and, um, you know, deserved to be in solitary confinement for the violence I committed in prison. But uh, <clears throat> long-term solitary confinement actually has a lot of uh, negative effects on your mental health. Um, and it, I tried to kill myself because I just never thought I was getting out. I had a 40-year sentence and, you know, here I am serving 39 years for a crime that uh I no longer believed in a cause I no longer believed in. So it was kind of just like, wow, I just wasted all of my life. Talk to me about why you firebombed that synagogue, where it was, what was your thought process and what, what made you think this, this, this is the thing that I want to do? Well, I was 
20 years old. I'd just been discharged from the army. Um, and I was separated from my wife and I basically just felt like my life was over at age 20. <laughs> and now that I'm 37, I realize, you know, how stupid that was to feel that way. Um, and, you know, part of the, the, the white supremacist causes, it's about being more than yourself, just like any radical cause, you know, you feel like you're part of something. And so you want to further that cause. And so like I, from the time I was 15 living in area nations, I heard stories about martyrdom and, you know, these people who had committed these crimes. And so I was like, well, you know what, I want to go out and die uh, for the cause. And so I ended up uh, just giving up and I went across the country doing hate crimes and, um, it was a random crime. I was passing through Oklahoma city and I was actually, there was nothing to tie me there. I didn't even stop for gasoline. So I th- figured, you know what, I'll just attack a Jewish person's house and then just drive on. Nobody will ever know. And, um, long story short, I, I could not find the house. Um, I was not familiar with the city. And as I was driving, I came across the synagogue and just took it as a target of opportunity. And, uh, you know, I attacked the synagogue and, and uh, caused a lot of trauma to the Jewish community in Oklahoma City. And, uh, you know, and just did a lot of terrible things. And you didn't even know any Jewish people at the time. Is that right? Uh, no, I'd never really like <clears throat> Spokane. We have a Jewish synagogue, but it's like we are not. There's not a huge Jewish population, or at least that I know, like you know, growing up, it's like nobody talked about, oh, I'm Jewish or this and that, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> or this and that. Um, they just, uh, it, it just wasn't, you know, I mean, it's, it's a pretty, um, growing up is a pretty largely white town. Um, it's a lot more diverse than it, than it, than it was before. Now that I'm out actually. And you said part of, part of the reason you got involved with this is because, well, you were white and you didn't fit in with black or Hispanic people and you felt a feeling of superiority when, when you wore a swastika? Well, they, <laughs> when they took me in, they give you this sense that you're, you know, like all of the propaganda, like when you become a skinhead, there's a lot of music and music is very good propaganda. And, you know, you've got the skinhead music. It's like the, um, one of the most famous skinhead, uh, bands is called Screwdriver. And they have a song like, You Are the Diamond in the Dust. And, you know, like they give you this, this sense that you are, you are something. And when you're a, a socially awkward kid who really, you know, doesn't have anyone to turn to there and these people tell you, wow, you are like something, you know, and it's like you just start to believe it. You described it as almost feeling like you'd, taking a drug yes i think hate is a drug that's one thing i've always said um since i left is hate is a drug it gives you the same rush as as drugs i'm sure you know i've never really been into drugs but i know hate is something that uh that gives you the same feeling you said that you've done some terrible things. I mean, you, you hit a woman with a truck. You ran over some black teenagers. You bombed the synagogue. And actually, if I recall correctly, the firebomb went into the, the window of the daycare center instead of the actual sanctuary there, right? Uh, it just scorched the brick wall on the outside. Um, not that that justifies anything, but, um, yes, I've done a lot of terrible stuff. So what made you decide to turn a corner? You said you were in solitary for, for eight and a half years. So yes. what, what, what happened there that, that changed who you are now? Um, 
Well, in prison, it's a very violent environment, and I committed a large amount of violence, and the federal prison system got tired of it. And after stabbing a child molester, um, who was also sharp, which is a, a, a lot of people have this notion that skinheads are only racist, um, but they're actually as black skinheads called sharps, um, or they're, well, sharp actually isn't just black skinheads. It's all skinheads, but it's called skinheads against racial prejudice. And, um, like there's actually a large skinhead population in, in, uh, Jamaica, believe it or not. I did and, not know um, that. Yeah. It's, it's got, like, if you Google like skinhead Moonstop, it's a, it's a song. It's a Jamaican like ska kind of song. That's about black skinheads. So, <laughs> um, uh, I, I had stabbed this individual, um, once I found out, you know, that he was a sharp and a, and a child molester. And I just, I went to solitary confinement. And while I was there, there was an anti-racist, uh, inmate who had like an anti-swastika tattoo. And I had sent word out to the, to the, uh, uh another skinhead on the yard. And, uh, cause I, by this time I'd, <clears throat> I'd become a member of a skinhead gang called the Hammerskins. And, um, I asked, um, my brother, I was like, why don't you stab this guy? Um, because he's an anti-racist and come to find out that person was doing heroin with this person. And so it got me to start to think like, wow, like these people don't even believe in this movement. And, uh, so I went to the supermax and I had a lot of time and, uh, I read a lot. And some of the books I read, um, one of the first books I read that really helped change uh, my way of thinking was Long Walk to Freedom by Nelson Mandela. And when I started to, to read these books and to, and to study psychology, um, I started realizing how, how large of a factor my abuse had contributed to my path in life. And I also didn't like the person I'd become. You know, I was like, I destroyed my family's like relationships and like all this stuff. And I was like, why, you know, it's like, I had so much potential. I lost out on the career I loved in the U S army to this day that haunts me. I I wish I could go in the army so bad. I, I love the military. I always, you know, um, uh, I got inspired because of my, my older stepbrother, um, who unfortunately just passed Sunday. Um, he was a Marine. <laughs> and, I'm so sorry. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I just, I just didn't like who I was. And so I wanted to make changes. And while I was in the supermax, it's one of the few places in the federal prison system. You can actually have a TV in the cell. I, uh, I began watching TV and, you know, there were shows that would show interracial marriage or gay relationships or the stuff that I'd been against. And at first I, Oh, I'd be mad. I'd, oh, man, you know, and I'd turn the TV off. But then I was like, you know what? If, if I want to get past this, I got to watch this. And, and, uh, you know, it hates become a habit to me more so than anything. And so I started watching all these different diverse shows and actually began to watch a lot of cinema. And one, one really great actor that really helped, um, get me past racism was Sidney Poitier. Um, his films like A Patch of Blue. Um, I, I, I became obsessed with Turner, Turner classic movies. So I, I would watch all these classic movies and Sidney Poitier's movies always dealt with some form of racism for the, for the most part. And, uh, you know, seeing it from the, the white perspective as well in the Shelley Winters character. And it, it, it was just an impactful movie as well. Wow. Let me ask you something about January 6th. We're, we're talking mm-hmm. on the, 
you know, a, a year after the assault on the Capitol. And some of the people in that crowd were far right extremists and mm-hmm. some yes. were white militants. What do you think about what they did? And, and what's the difference between what you think about it now and what you might have thought 20 years ago? Well, 20 years ago, I would have probably been part of it. <clears throat> and like I said, in the documentary, I probably would have done more. Um, I, my personal feeling is it was a, a large crowd that had a small minority that were doing violent stuff. And like I said, in the documentary, there was probably more people not doing stuff that could have stopped it than, um, you know, those that actually did the violence. Um, I don't think, I don't know. I, I still, I, I kind of go both ways on it. Like, I, I don't think it was really too serious as, as much as, as it's been played out, but in a way it is, you know, and, and it's, and I think it's because today we live in a society where people on both sides don't feel like they're being listened to and heard. And, and it's frustrating and it doesn't seem there's any political dialogue. Um, you know, <laughs> even amongst families, you know, you have people who, families are destroyed by politics now. And, you know, I, I think that was the point of the documentary was trying to find discourse. And I don't think, uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard. You know, I, I, I go back and forth on it because I, I understand the frustrations of, you know, the, the uh, American working class people. Um, but I also realize that, <clears throat> you know, racism is wrong. And I don't think everybody that was there is racist. Um, I disagree with my aunt. She feels the proud boys are racist, but I don't. I, I think they're a bunch of thugs and I don't think they're anything worthy of any, um, adulation. But, um, you know, they have, I mean, they have Jewish members and, and black members as well. So I don't feel they're like a specific white supremacist organization. Um, Let do they have people that probably hold a lot of conservative values that overlap? Absolutely. Let me ask you a couple of things. You said the person that you were before you are now would have done more. I want to know what you mean by that. And then you also said it wasn't that serious, but people died that day. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying in context of like some of the violence we've seen in this country as well. Like I, um, you know, I think both sides, the left and the right have committed a lot of violence over the last couple of years. And you know, for various reasons, maybe there's, they feel there's injustice. Um, yeah, I, I don't mean serious in that there's like a loss, like a lot of people think that the democracy was ruined that day. And I think that's not true. I mean, democracy, our country did not stop moving. Our, I, there was a lot of fear, but our country has continued to run since that day. And, you know, it's sad that people died. Um, it's sad that people were hurt. And I just, uh, I guess, yeah, I guess that was probably the bad, um, bad way of explaining it, that it wasn't serious. Um, but I, I think, uh, I, I meant serious in the context that nothing that happened that day shut down this government and continued to stop our government from running. Um, these people thought they were doing that, but it's like, you're never going to overturn this government. Um, you know, if you're going to change this government, People need to do it through positive action, sorry, <clears throat> through positive action and, um, you know, trying to have discourse. Okay. You said that hate was 
a disease, basically. Mm-hmm. But this is not now how you feel. No, I, I feel hate's a disease. No, 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 no. What I, what I mean is you said, okay, you used to be a white supremacist, but that is, yes. but that is not the person that you are now. How, how would you describe no. what you are now? Well, now I'm just, uh, you know, I got a second lease on life. Um, I have friends of all races, sexual orientations, um, religions. Um, I just live my life, um, you know, trying to be a better person every day if I can. Um, you know, I'm a failed human being, so I, I have a lot to work on with within myself, um, but I'm surrounded by a, a lot of really good people. Um, since I got out, I've actually um, joined an MMA gym. I've had two MMA fights, and uh, I'm undefeated, <laughs> which is kind of cool. But uh, I uh, the gym is very diverse. It's called Warrior Camp in Spokane, and the coaches there have been very helpful, as well as my my fiance, who's actually my ex wife, and left the movement as well without them. In my corner, it would have been very hard to re-enter society after so long. 16 years in two months, it's like I got out on basically a two-hour notice with $75. And, you know, I've, I've had to work hard, and, and my fiance's had to work hard to get where we are. And um, The gym has probably been one of the, the most beautiful things for me because, <clears throat> you know, I have friends at the gym, you know, the coach Pablo and Rose Alfonso, their family. They're not just, um, and I was nervous when I went in, you know, here I am going to an MMA gym owned by a Cuban man and his white wife. And, you know, I've got skinhead and all my knuckles and swastikas. And, you know, they looked at me sideways when I first got there, you know, and, and you know, and within a couple of days they saw who I was and, you know, like, they're like, Holy cow, you've really changed. And, you know, now I have all types of friends at the gym. Uh, you know, one of them, Terrence McKinney actually fights in UFC and uh, he's an African-American gentleman who I think is going to be the next uh, UFC champion someday. And uh, he fights in March and Fe- in, in, or, uh, February in the UFC again. So, um, you know, I, we've just got so many good people that I'm surrounded by. And I think if you want to have positivity in, your, positivity in your life, you have to surround yourself with positive people who just want to bring you up, not bring you down. And I think that's the difference between when me and my fiance were part of that white supremacist movement, the people you surround yourself by were always negative. You know, it was always, we're victims, you know, the Jews and the blacks and the minorities, the the Mexicans take our job. It's like everybody else's fault, except for yours, for where your life's at. And that's just not true. It's like, you can make your own path in life. That's former neo-Nazi Sean Gillespie, who was featured in Indivisible Healing Hate, a six-part docuseries produced by Viacom CBS's See It Now Studios with XG Productions. Thanks so much for joining us. Also, thanks to Ashley Armstrong for her production assistance. Like what you hear? There will be new episodes of Kaleidoscope with Allison Keys every Friday. Follow the show wherever you get your podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Allison Keys, CBS News. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.